I invite you to open with me this morning to Acts chapter 25, Acts chapter 25, and beginning in verse 1, and we're going to work through, uh, all the way through chapter 26. We are, we're going to cover two chapters of Scripture uh, this morning. Uh, someone sent me um, a joke on Facebook this week, uh, something about if a pastor sees his shadow, um, then there are going to be three more weeks or six more, six more weeks of the current sermon series. Um, so um, I didn't see my shadow, and so we've only got three more weeks of the current sermon series, but uh, I'm looking forward uh, to when we finish Acts together. It has been a joy to walk with you through this. I have, I have learned so much, and I hope that you have as well. I think it's wonderful when uh, the Lord is, is teaching us about his work, what he's done in the past, and how that impacts who we should be as a church today. This morning, we arrive at Paul's fifth and final defense before um, some Roman rulers. It's his last speech. We've seen three of these already, and so we're going to see a very short one. That's his fourth one, and then we're going to see this longer one, uh, which is his final speech. It's his final time we hear at length his defense of uh, the gospel at work in his life and his defense of what he's doing as an as a, a, a you know, just living out that gospel in his life to share it with others. Uh, just as a reminder, let's go back Acts chapter 22. That was his first defense. Uh, we see him there. He's defending himself before an angry mob of people in Jerusalem. This was his first time encountering those who were skeptical of his changed life. And it made sense for them to be skeptical. Uh, Paul was a persecutor of Christians. And so, of course, when they saw him testifying of the, the gospel at work in his own life, they said, hey, wait a minute, something doesn't add up. And so, in Acts chapter 22, we see him defending his testimony. Acts chapter 23, we see him uh, defending himself and the work of ministry that God had been doing in him uh, before the Jewish council in Jerusalem. And so he's telling them, listen, uh, God is doing this great work among the Gentiles, and, and God has sent me to them. And we drew a distinction there back in Acts 23 between those who were Jewish and those who were non-Jewish, and Paul was working among the Gentiles. And then uh, just last week, we saw in Acts 24, his defense before Felix. And so there again, he's defending uh, what God has been doing in his life. He's defending his innocence in that case. And we, we hit on a key topic there that's going to come up again today. What we found out last week is, is it's not really Paul that's on trial. It's something else. It's a theological issue that's on trial. It's a, it's a belief that Paul has that's actually taking the stand. And so this week we're going to see um, his defense before Festus, which is another uh, Roman ruler. Uh, this is Felix's replacement, so it's kind of the same tone in that defense. But then in Acts 26, and we're going to try to spend the bulk of our time there, we see Paul defending himself before Agrippa. And uh, we're going to look at how that plays out. The two chapters we're looking at this morning, they, they bring his speeches to a, a fitting conclusion. You see, it seems as though the Roman government leaders finally start to understand that this is not an ethical issue that has Paul on the stand. No, it's more than that. It's deeper than that. Instead, he was on trial for a matter concerning his belief about who God is and what God has done. Specifically, what God did in the power of the resurrection, the resurrection of Christ, specifically 
the truth that Christ had risen from the dead. That's what is on trial in Paul's circumstance. Here's the reality. This is how it kind of connects with us today. Whether we realize it or not, this same truth is on trial every single day in our lives. The, the power of the resurrected Christ and how that affects us and how that has changed us and transformed us. Listen, that is on trial before a watching world every single day. No, we may not stand before government leaders on trial, but the way we live puts this on trial. Listen, a watching world, you could say, is the judge and jury concerning what we believe. So we're going to pay close attention to how this plays out in Paul's circumstance and how God works through him, and we're going to see this. This is the big idea this morning. We testify that Christ has risen through our lives and our witness. We testify that Christ has risen through our lives and our witness. I grew up in a, an independent Baptist church, and we had testimony day in that church. We talked about this in our grow group last week. Uh, we, we, we would testify, and really what that oftentimes was, the pastor had not prepared a sermon for that day, and the, and the week had gotten busy, and we all knew that, and what he was saying was, I don't have anything for you, so y'all are going to testify today and tell about what God's doing in your life. And as I look back on that, I think about this passage in particular, and we may not have testimony day, and I, I don't ever intend to do that, but our testimony before a watching world tells the story of the resurrection. In other words, how we live matters. What we say matters. Our lives and our words, they paint a picture of whether or not we truly believe in God's power to raise his son and give us new life. With that in mind, would you stand and honor the reading of God's word? Acts chapter 25, beginning in verse 1. I'm only going to read the first five verses to set the context this morning. Luke writes for us, he says, Three days after Festus arrived in the province, he went up to Jerusalem from Caesarea. The chief priests and the leaders of the Jews presented their case against Paul to him, and they appealed asking for a favor against Paul that Festus summon him to Jerusalem. They were, in fact, preparing an ambush along the road to kill him. Festus, however, answered that Paul should be kept at Caesarea and that he himself was about to go there shortly. Therefore, he said, let those of you who have authority go down with me and accuse him if he has done anything wrong. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for what you teach us in your word. And God, I pray that as your word is proclaimed today, that it is clear. God, that you promise us that your word is effective. So God, we ask for that full effect to be felt today, to be known today. God, I pray that you'll help us to apply your scriptures to our lives. And Lord, as we pray every week that you'll challenge us and you'll change us. God, that we'll leave, we will leave here differently than when we came. We trust you for this, Lord. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. You can be seated. 
Again, we're working through a large chunk of narrative this morning, and sometimes that's a challenge and it's quite intimidating, but it's divided neatly into two sections right around the chapter division. And so in chapter five, uh, ch- chapter 25, rather, we find how Paul's life has testified to the resurrection. In other words, how he's living testifies to the power of the risen Christ. And then in chapter 26, uh, there's a lot more monologue from Paul in that chapter. So he's speaking more there. And, and we see that he is testifying with his words who God is and what God has done. And so let's work through chapter 25 and keep this in mind. First, our lives should prove we believe Christ has risen. So like we said a moment ago, the way we live matters. He has saved us and he has given us a new life and therefore our new life is worth living before a watching world. Now, a lot of time has passed between what we find in Acts 24, particularly in verse 26, and then verse 27, and then if we don't look back there, we kind of lose what's happening in this story by the time we get to 25. And so, look back with me very quickly at just verse 27 at the end of chapter 24. It says there, after two years had passed, after two years had passed, Festus succeeded Felix. Don't miss that. Paul sat in prison for two years. So in one verse, two years of time elapse. And the whole time, Paul is spending that time in prison. And while he's in prison, there's kind of a changing of the guard in Rome. And you see that a new ruler comes on the scene. I find it very interesting that Felix, who was the one in charge when Paul went in prison, Uh, The one who was prominent, guess what? He falls out of the story altogether when Festus takes charge. But Paul, this faithful brother, remains the main character of this story. You see, it was rare for prisoners to survive such a long Roman imprisonment. Most of the time, they would die during that time. And certainly, they were forgotten about so often when there was a changing in leadership. We saw this happen in Joseph's life in the Old Testament, right? As leaders came and went, Joseph was forgotten, and therefore Joseph spent two years in prison. Paul's stamina during this time teaches us this. We should live faithfully because we are gripped by the mission of God. Paul's faithfulness is a testimony of of how he fervently held on to the mission of God, that no matter how his circumstances might have changed during those two years of time, He remained faithful. Notice in those first five verses, the Jews, they still had a plan to kill Paul. I find that fascinating. Paul is rotting away in a Roman prison cell, and man, these guys are still seething with anger. I mean, I've heard of people holding a grudge, but my goodness. I mean, he was in prison. They could have forgotten about him altogether. Instead, they wanted his life to end. But Paul was unwilling to abandon his mission despite these circumstances. Now, listen carefully. A lot had changed for Paul in those two years. In fact, everything about his condition had changed. Certainly his physical appearance had changed. This wasn't an easy imprisonment. But also his audience had changed. Think about the fact Paul was used to standing before crowds of people and proclaiming the word of God and testifying of the gospel. And yet as he sat in that Roman prison cell, most likely he was alone in his thoughts. And in fact, it's during that time he wrote many letters we find in the New Testament. But also his pace of life changed. 
Think about how exciting his life was as a missionary during those three missionary journeys. Traveling throughout the known world and, and planting churches and encouraging churches. I mean, this was an exciting adventure for Paul. And he was before God's people constantly and encouraged by God's people. And yet for two years, everything slowed down for Paul. It would have been so easy to lose sight of the mission. It would have been so easy to throw in the towel, but he was gripped by this mission. His mission to take the gospel to those farthest from God had not changed. You know, we also go through various stages of life. I look across this room and I see various generations represented. I love that. We see young and old and everything in between. And listen, your circumstance in life changes, certainly. But the mission of God never changes. Now notice this as we look at the rest of the chapter. We should live confidently because we know the Lord guides us. So it's not just about faithfulness. This isn't just up to us. I love that. I think so often we think in our Christian lives that it's all up to us to hold it together and, and to toe the line and to, and to make much of Jesus. And that is true, but it's, but it's also God working in us and through us and going before us. And we see that happen in Paul's life. Notice Paul's confidence in verses 9, 10, and 11. So the trial begins to take place, and, and I want you to hear how he, he speaks in this defense before Festus. Listen to what he says. He says, But Festus, wanting to do the Jews a favor, replied to Paul, Are you willing to go up to Jerusalem to be tried before me there on these charges? Paul replied. You could say Paul boldly replied. I am standing at Caesar's tribunal, where I ought to be tried. I have done no wrong to the Jews, as even you yourself, you know that very well. If then I did anything wrong and I am deserving of death, listen to this, I am not trying to escape death. But if there is nothing to what these men accuse me of, no one can give me up to them. I appeal to Caesar. Now, there's a lot of things at work here, and I love how Luke uh, accurately describes this trial and what's happening and, and how this played out in a Roman society, in a Roman culture. You see, as a Roman citizen, it was Paul's right to stand before Caesar on trial. And Paul took advantage of that, but there was more to this besides him just trying to save his neck. And he says that, I'm not afraid of death. And, and, and they may not have known what Paul was up to, but Paul certainly knew what God was up to. Listen, turn back to Acts chapter 23. In verse 11, we find there God is calling Paul to go to Rome. Listen to what God says to him. Listen to what Jesus says to him while he's in prison. Acts 23, verse 11, it says, The following night, the Lord stood by him and said, Have courage, for as you have testified about me in Jerusalem, so it is necessary for you to testify in Rome. Paul knew this. Paul remembered this. And Paul knew that standing before Caesar and going to Rome, listen, this was the plan of God playing out in his life. God was guiding him, and therefore he could be confident. Paul did not fear death because he knew that Christ had risen. I want you to think about the resurrection for just a moment. I know we tend to take this miracle for granted, but I want you to picture what actually happened on resurrection morning. 
how God was sovereignly in control of everything happening that day. Jesus laid there lifeless in the tomb, in the darkness, lifeless for three days. And then suddenly, his veins began to fill with blood again. His lungs began to fill with air again. His flesh began to take life again. His eyes opened and they had been closed for three days. Picture this. The reason Paul could be confident standing before these people that literally held his life in their hands is because he knew the giver of life. You and I know this giver of life as well. So what are you afraid of this morning? What is it that makes your confidence in God falter? I think so often you and I, we don't have the boldness or confidence of Paul. We might remember and know that Jesus is risen, but we're often afraid. Perhaps it's sickness or your finances. Maybe it's some family drama or a job situation. Listen, unfortunately, Christians are some of the most paranoid people I know. Friends, we don't have to be afraid of a Chinese weather balloon. We don't have reason to be afraid because of our confidence in God. God is in control. and The resurrection is proof of that. Paul's life perplexed everyone that was a part of this trial and those holding him captive. It had also testified of the resurrection. You see, in the rest of the chapter, I'm not going to read this to you, the rest of the chapter, what happens is uh, Festus is perplexed by Paul, perplexed by his boldness and his confidence, and he says he, he's at a loss, is what it says ultimately. He says, I'm at a loss of what to do with this guy. And so he appeals to this other ruler, this Jewish king named Agrippa, and he says, Agrippa, I need you to come and I need you to help me with this unique case. I don't know what to do here. There's this guy that is on trial. It's clearly a, a the, theological issue. It's a, it's a squabble over this Jesus who was once dead and is now risen. And, and that's a foreign concept to me. I don't know what to do. And so Agrippa comes in for the rest of the chapter and he begins to listen to Paul and and the context is set for what we see in chapter 26 when Paul gets an opportunity to speak. And here's what we see in chapter 26. Our witness should invite others to believe that Christ has risen. Our witness should invite others to believe what we believe. You see, our lives prove that Christ has risen. In other words, it, it proves that we believe that, that we believe in that power. The way we live proves this out. But our lives also give us opportunity to then speak about this truth. That's what happened for Paul. They were so perplexed by his confidence, the life that he had lived. And so they finally they said in chapter 26, Agrippa says, hey, let's let him speak for himself. Let's listen to him once again. Let's see what he has to say. And man, did he take advantage of this opportunity. Here's what we're going to see. We're going to see seven characteristics of a faithful witness. Paul lived out in this opportunity to the fullest testifying of the gospel. First, we see this. A faithful witness patiently shares. They patiently share 
want you to listen to Paul's tone in Acts chapter 26, beginning in verse 1 down through verse 3. Listen to how Paul addresses this Roman ruler. Agrippa said to Paul, you have permission to speak for yourself. And then Paul stretched out his hand and he began his defense. I consider myself fortunate that it is before you, King Agrippa, that I'm able to make my defense today against all the accusations of the Jews. Especially since you are very knowledgeable about all the Jewish customs and controversies. Notice this, therefore I beg you to listen to me patiently. Listen, Paul was in the thick of it. His, his life was in jeopardy. This was an important speech he was going to give. And, and I don't know about you, but I'm not going to speak in this tone probably. I'm going to say, hey, listen, please do all you can to save me. Listen, I, I'm in real trouble here. And, and, and these, these charges, they're, they're bogus. And I need you to help me. But he begins and he addresses Agrippa, this person who did not know Jesus the way Paul knew Jesus. He addresses him respectfully and patiently. Paul would write in 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 6 about this patience. He said, I planted the seed. Apollos, he watered it. and God has been making it grow. Paul was living that out before Agrippa right here. He says, I just want you to listen to me patiently. I'm not trying to convince you of anything. Just, just give me a chance to speak. I think so often we rush into gospel conversations. Uh, last week, uh, Miss Margaret Davis, she invited me to come to her Sunday school class and share my testimony of how uh, Jesus saved me. And we walked through that for about 15 minutes, and I was, I, I ultimately, when I share my testimony, I always land on this idea of patience, particularly when it comes to children. We, we've got to be patiently uh, evangelistic with children. We have to understand that, that we can't take advantage of their emotions or play on their circumstance in life, but we have to be careful. And so we need to be patient in all opportunities to share Jesus. I encourage you, listen, don't be disheartened when you're not convincing others to follow Jesus because guess what? It's not your job. If it's a spouse that's far from God, listen, stop trying to win that argument. Instead, faithfully share and trust those results to God. Secondly, we see this. A faithful witness isn't ashamed of their past. I want you to notice how Paul begins in verse 4. He says, all the Jews know my way of life from my youth. I love that. What about you? Some of y'all, if we were to say, hey, I want you to tell us about your past, would you start with your youth? Some of you would not, and there's probably good reason for it. Sometimes we want to bury our past and forget who we once were, but Paul begins with this truth, who he once was. Notice in verse 9 what he says to them. He says, in fact, I myself was convinced that it was necessary to do many things in opposition to the name of Jesus. He says, I opposed everything about who Jesus was and, and what his people believed. In verse 10, he continues, he says, I locked up the saints, he tells them. In verse 10, at the end there, it says, when they were put to death, I was in agreement against them. Maybe you remember Stephen. 
when Stephen was stoned to death and because of his belief and trust in Jesus, guess what it says there? Paul stood by holding the garments of those who were stoning Stephen. What that meant was Paul agreed with what was happening. Paul didn't bury this past. Notice what he continues to say at the end of verse 11. He says, since I was terribly enraged at them, I pursued them even to foreign cities. Here's what he said. I'm no different than my accusers. I'm no different than my accusers. Don't you remember the reason Paul is on trial is because these people were holding a grudge against him and and they were pursuing him from city to city. They wanted nothing less than to put him to death. Instead of looking at them with hatred in his heart, Paul looked out at the crowd and said, I'm no different than those who are accusing me. Listen, apart from God's grace, we are no different than the vilest of sinners. Ephesians chapter 2 and verses 8 and 9, Paul writes this. He says, for you are saved by grace and through faith. But you can't boast about this. No, it's a gift of God, he tells us. I encourage you, don't bury your past. Some of you in this room this morning, you've got a past. And it might be something you're terribly ashamed of. Maybe it was something in your past that you know God rescued you from. And you've buried it in the, in the darkest recesses of your memory. And you don't want anybody to know about it. But if you're a child of God, wouldn't it be wonderful if God could use that to speak to others? There's no doubt as Paul testified, he was saying, listen, this is who I was. But man, look what God did. Number three, a faithful witness exalts Jesus over self. They exalt Jesus over self. Notice the contrast in authority in verses 12 through 15. As Paul continues, he says, I was traveling to Damascus under these circumstances with authority, he says. In other words, he said, I had the authority to seek Christians out and imprison them and put them to death. I was in charge But notice what he continues to say as he talks about this encounter with Jesus in verse 14. Jesus shows up and it says, we all fell to the ground. I heard a voice speaking to me in Aramaic, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. I asked, who are you, Lord? That word Lord is a term that signifies, Paul says, I'm not in charge here anymore. I have fallen to my face in the dust, and someone is speaking to me, and I acknowledge him as Lord. Says the Lord replied, I am Jesus, the one you are persecuting. Listen, Paul's testimony made much of Jesus. Paul knew he didn't have it together without Jesus holding him together. Number four, a faithful witness knows their purpose. They know the mission that God has given them. Listen to verses 16 through 20 as Paul continues to describe this encounter with Jesus. Jesus said, get up and stand on your feet in verse 16. For I have appeared to you for this purpose to appoint you as a servant and a witness of what you have seen and that what you will see of me. I will rescue you from your people and from the Gentiles. I am sending you to them. Open their eyes so they may turn from the darkness to light 
and from the power of Satan to God. Jesus saved Paul to then send Paul. And Jesus saves us to then send us. Jesus gave you the gift of his grace, the opportunity to know him, to then walk with him, and to tell others about him. You've heard me talk about how there are people in our world today who are dying having never heard the truth of the gospel. That's why we're very intentional about our mission partnership in South Asia. As our missionary partner there is indeed going to places where the name of Jesus has never been heard before. Brothers and sisters, we have not only heard about this Jesus, but many of you have trusted in this Jesus, and therefore we are sent for this Jesus. Number five. A faithful witness takes opposition in stride. We see this in verse 21. I love that Paul only gives brief attention to those who are accusing him. He says, for this reason, the Jews seized me in the temple and they're trying to kill me. Uh, Listen, Paul didn't go on and on describing his persecution. He gave one verse to it. He said, hey, this is what I'm experiencing. And then he moved on. I love that he just takes this in stride. If you're like me, you don't take things in stride very often. Maybe you struggle with uh, something in your life that maybe someone speaks an ill word against you and it just eats you up until the end of the week. Listen, I'm the type of person that I will replay conversations that I have today into tomorrow. Some of y'all are nodding your heads. You know what I'm talking about. Did I say the right thing? Uh, Did I do the right thing? Did I have the right tone? Listen, this is a terrible quality to have as a preacher. Uh, Listen, I take Monday off and there's a reason for that. Because all day, guess what I'm doing? I'm thinking back to this moment. Did I say the right things? You know what Cherie says to me? She says, they don't listen to everything you say anyway. (laughs) I was talking to her one time about how I was going to divide a passage up. It was really complex. and uh, In fact, this happened last night, actually. We were talking about this. And she's sitting on the sofa next to me. I was wrestling with this text. It's it's two whole chapters of Scripture. And and I struggle with this. How are we going to divide this up? And did I divide it up the right way? And and she said, I said, I need you to listen to this outline. I need you to listen to how I've outlined this passage. And, And she listened for a few minutes. And then something distracted her. I said, hey, I need you to listen to me for just a minute. And she said, babe, I'm sure it's fine. I'm sure it's fine. That's all I got. Maybe you don't care. I don't know. Let's go to number six. Maybe you're still listening. A faithful witness, a faithful witness knows the word. They know the word. In verses 22 and 23, what Paul begins to do is he says, listen, everything I'm telling you is according to the prophets and according to Moses. What he's saying is, listen, this is based upon what is in the scriptures. I'm not making this up. And guess what? You that are listening to me, you are religious people and you should know this, he says. Know the Word. Be in the Word. This is what we're endeavoring to do this year. It is intentional that we're reading the Bible together. Number seven, a faithful witness calls for a decision. They call for a decision. Listen, what is it worth to proclaim all of these things unless we're going to call for people to decide something about what we've shared The rest of this chapter broke my heart from verses 24 down through verse 32. Paul begins to have a a one-on-one conversation with Agrippa. 
No longer is it the crowd that's just listening, and no longer is it Agrippa just listening. Now Agrippa is speaking back to him. Notice what he says in verse 28. Agrippa said to Paul, are you going to persuade me to become a Christian so easily? Agrippa stood in the presence of the Apostle Paul, the one who had encountered Jesus on the road to Damascus. And he had the nerve to look at him and say, I'm not so easily persuaded. Paul said in verse 29 in response, I love this. This is one of those verses you underline, circle. uh, You want to come back to this. Paul says, I wish before God that whether easily or with difficulty, not only you but all who listen to me today might become as I am. In other words, might become a Christian as I am except for these chains. He says, this is the aim of my life. Paul wasn't concerned about his chains because he knew others were in chains. He wasn't worried about his physical circumstance because he knew that others had a far more desperate spiritual circumstance. There's an old song that was written in the mid-19th century. It's a hymn, and James almost called you this week and said, we need to sing this. It's called Almost Persuaded. The fifth verse reads this way, and it's based on this passage of Scripture, this exchange between Paul and this Roman ruler. Listen to what it says. Be now persuaded, O sinner, here. Be now persuaded, Jesus is near. His voice is pleading still. Turn now with heart and will. Peace will your spirit feel, O turn today. Two questions I want to leave you with. Number one, how many around you are almost persuaded, almost persuaded to believe in this Jesus by the life that you live and the words that you say? How many around you, whether it's in your workplace or your family, or in this community, are almost persuaded by who Jesus is because of the life that you're living and the words that you are saying? How many Agrippas are in your life who in their heart of hearts is saying, oh, you're not going to persuade me so easily? Listen, here's my encouragement to you. Continue in prayer for them. Keep sharing with them. Keep modeling who Jesus is in your life before them and let us pray with you. But here's the final question, perhaps more important than that. Have you been persuaded? Have you been persuaded? Are you like Agrippa and you've said, I've almost believed all of this. I've almost trusted in all these things. Understand the aim of Luke in his gospel is to lay out a historical record of who Jesus was and is and who the church then became. And guess what? It's an accurate account, and we've laid this out week after week, and are you almost persuaded to believe in this Jesus that we call Lord? If you are, I encourage you, fill out that blue card in the pew back in front of you. Let us know that you have some questions. You want to talk about this? Listen, give me a call. Send me a text message, an email. Stay after service. Come Grab me by the hand this morning and say, I want to talk about this. 
There's some of you in this room that, that have filled out those cards, and, and we have some opportunities to talk after the service. Please come find me. Let's sit down and talk about this, about what it means to trust and follow Jesus and what your next steps are. We would love to take those with you. Let's go to the Lord in prayer as you stand with us.